Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space, narcissists typically lack empathy. Like they're not able to really feel, listen, and just empathize with other people, you know, to feel your pain, to understand it enough and to change because they don't want to make you feel a certain way, right? Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Terry here from Cultivating Her Space. Are you tired of working hard for your money? Do you want your business to run smoothly when you're out of office? If you want to learn how to automate your business cash flow and increase your impact and influence, join me for my free workshop at brandwithterry.com. Again, that's brandwithterry.com. My name is spelled T-E-R-R-I. Hope to see you there, lady. Our quote of the day. We live in a world of romance and rescue where many believe love will conquer all and that the more we endure unacceptable behavior, the more likely that we can fix our relationship. It doesn't always work that way, despite what the fairy tale tells us. That quote comes to us from Dr. Romani Dervasala. T. That is a powerful quote. The world is not about that fairy tale. Mm -hmm. Real life relationships are not about that damsel in distress being rescued. Yeah, so much comes up for me when I think about this quote. But what comes up for you? Well, I can't wait to hear your perspective down because I'm wondering if we have differing perspectives, which I love when we do, because I'm thinking about this quote and it doesn't sound like a fairy tale for me in particular. I know it mentions fairy tales in the quote, but I think about this idea of putting up with unacceptable behavior for the sake of love, for the sake of 
the family, for the sake of the kids, for the sake of the image of the relationship. And I think that oftentimes people get so caught up in how a relationship looks on the outside, like, right? Like, oh, that's relationship goals on social media or, oh my gosh, they've been together for 25 years. What have they been putting up with for 25 years? You know what I mean? Like I'm of the belief that, you know, I value what the relationship is like in real life versus what it appears to be to other people. And so when I see this quote down, it makes me think about, I can't remember the quote or the tweet that I saw, but it makes me think about how people say that, you know, they had to suffer and their partner had five kids on them and they got, you know, broke up and got back together. And then, you know, the partner went to jail. And then it's like all these things that you went through for the sake of a, like a relationship. When I don't think it always has to include suffering. I know that some of our stories do include some of less than pleasant moments or some stuff that we had to go through. But I don't think it always has to be this like tragic story of suffering for the sake of love and longevity, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And as you were talking, it made me think of a conversation that I had with a friend a while ago. And we were talking about the lessons that we saw and things that we learned from relationships from our family members, from our elders, from our ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. And we were having this conversation about how many folks do we know that have family, like they grew up in a family where Big Daddy would, had like a whole nother side family mm-hmm. or had other children. Maybe it wasn't an entire side family, but had other children by other women, right? And so we did some digging in the middle of our conversation because we were like, you know, nerd out, like, let's go to Google and figure this out, right? Like, why is this so? Yes. And what we were found was that, so there was a law that passed in 1975 that basically changed, that's what changed the game. So in prior to 1975, you couldn't just get divorced. There was a short list of reasons that made it acceptable for you to get a divorce in America. Mm. So prior to 1975, a woman couldn't say, well, my husband is cheating. And not have to have proof, right? Because that's the other piece too, is that you often, to get a divorce, you often had all the, had to have all this proof, which essentially, and in some cases, this still exists, where essentially it has to boil down to that you have film, you have pictures or video footage of your partner having sex with the other person to prove that they were cheating, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So there were all these steps in place. And then the other thing, too, that we have to think about is that during that time period as well, women often needed to have their husband, their father or brother, some other male in their life sign off on financial things such as creating a bank account, credit cards, purchasing a car, all of these things that allow for financial freedom. So when we think about that intergenerational piece of why people stayed in unhealthy relationships, a lot of that, in addition to keeping up an image, a lot of it was also tied to the legal system that was set up that was preventing that from happening. We don't have that anymore, not to, at least not to the same extent, 
right? Wow, Dom. So now we don't necessarily have to remain in unhealthy situations. I mean, and we know, we get that there are reasons why folks stay in abusive relationships, right? But we don't necessarily have laws that are in place that make it completely prohibitive from us doing so. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'm glad that you had that conversation with your friend and you were able to bring that insight into the conversation because that does add a lot of perspective. And I think many of us know, like you said, if you look back at the family, you'll see that people have been married for, you know, especially the older generation, right? People always tend to mention this nowadays. They're like, dang, why did people back in the day, why were they able to stay together for so long? And it's like a lot of times if we're being honest, okay, like you said, not saying this is everybody, lady, but a lot, like if we're really being honest, they're hard topics to discuss, right? Like you going to your grandparents and your great grandparents and talking about infidelity and the things they put up with and potential abuse. It's like, those are not easy conversations to have, but I know like you, Dom, and having conversations with girlfriends, looking at my own family, it's like people put up with a lot of shit. And a lot of times it was because of their livelihood and the necessity, right? Women didn't always have the same rights and weren't able to just get up and go like they might be today. And so lady, we're going to have a conversation today about narcissism and whether or not your partner is a narcissist. And the thing about this is we are not the experts here, but next week we have the expert one of our faves, Dr. Romney Devasla, who's going to join us. But we just want to initiate the conversation and dive into one of the surveys from her book, Should I Stay or Should I Go? And we want to go over some of the key traits of a narcissist and in addition to some of our, I want to say, favorite questions that really stood out to us from the book. And you can always take a look at the show notes so that you can look at the full quiz that we're going to review because we're only going to cover a few questions. The quiz is like 30 questions. And after reading this quiz or completing the quiz, you'll be able to ideally see like, is my partner a narcissist? And then we'll be able to also ask Dr. Romney some questions about this topic in general, because next week we're going to talk about how to actually leave, how to finally leave the narcissistic partner. So Dom, one thing I saw is that it says that this quiz it really focuses on some of the core narcissistic, I want to say, traits. And so, maybe as we read off some of the traits and the questions, you may personally identify with some. I know when I was reading this, Dom, I was like, oh, shit, I'm a narcissist because I was like, I identify with this or I've done this before. But I think the quiz says if you if you answer yes to 15 or more of the questions, yeah. then you got to look at yourself or your partner like, oh, I might be with a narcissist or I might be the narcissist. So. I think without further ado, we should just go ahead and jump on in and take a look at some of these characteristics and questions. Yes. And I, you know, and I do want to stress that point that you made that like all of us can look at this quiz and find some questions that, you know, we're answering yes to and see that they're definitely, all of us may have a couple of narcissistic traits within us. But the thing that we want to really remember is that there's a difference between having a couple of narcissistic traits and truly being a narcissist. And our episode next week with Dr. Romney will definitely help us really 
parse out and identify what it is like to truly be with someone who is a narcissist. Yes, that is spot on, Dom. And I will say, as far as the key characteristics that I've, you know, we both probably heard Dr. Romney talk about, the one comes to mind is grandiosity and like this person that is really big on the perception, right? Like, how do I look? How does my family look? It's all about the appearance and what, how things look on the outside, you know, wanting to be friends with the person with a nice car or, you know, being more concerned about how your partner makes you look versus how they make you feel. That is a huge distinction, right? right? Like that is, that is definitely a distinction. I think that there are lots of moments where some of us can get caught up in materialism. Mm -hmm. So our friend just got a new Maserati. Well, yeah, I'm excited for my homegirl with that new Maserati. So, yes, I want to I want to go and check out that new Maserati because what's the likelihood that I'm going to have that in my life? Right. Right. There's a difference between that. And. I'm parading it off like that's mine. And I am now all of a sudden this bigger, better, badder person. Because I'm connected to this person who owns this material item. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And the next one we have here is entitlement. And I think this one is just who, I mean, lady, do you know someone who just feels entitled to get better treatment? It's so crazy when you hear about this topic, Don, because it makes me think about people that I know, people in my family, things I've witnessed growing up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that sense of entitlement where you get special treatment, but not everyone else needs to get special treatment. So you walk into the room like all eyes on me or, you know, you're out and you're at dinner and something didn't come out right. And you got to make this big scene. Like, you know, how could you mess up my order? And it's like this big thing. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I've been at the table when this person has done this and they just have this, this sense of entitlement where, you know, people need to treat me this way, treat me with the utmost respect, but I don't have to reciprocate that. Right. Right. And I think that's the key, right? Is that like the expectation that you don't have to reciprocate. And then it makes me think about this newer generation. What are they called? Gen Z? They're not millennials. They come after the millennials <laughs> or they're like the, the late millennials, like the ones mm-hmm. that were born, like right on the cusp of the new generation. I hear a lot of folks say that that generation call that generation entitled. Right. And so I do want to make that distinction too, right. That that generation, as I'm reflecting on, these different narcissistic traits, people may use that and call that generation entitled from a space of considering them maybe narcissistic, right? But to me, as I really reflect on it and do that comparison between someone who is narcissistic and this generation, to me, the entitlement that comes from this generation, it feels like it's more so from them advocating for themselves. And advocating for themselves in a way that some of us aren't used to. And that's not how we were raised, right? And so we may look at it as entitlement, 
But really, a lot of the things that they might be asking for are truly things that they earned and they deserve. It's debatable. I know. I know people might come for me for it. But (laughs) I do want to make it clear that that distinction for us, right? Yeah. That them advocating for things that they want is different from that person who's making the scene in the restaurant because they feel that it is old them. This extra quality, this extra level of service, right? Mm -hmm. These Mm -hmm. things in serve in as they're at a restaurant that seem excessive, Mm -hmm. but they act, they feel like it's the minimum that they, uh, that they deserve. That's different than this Gen Z group of folks. Yeah, that's a really good point. That is a really good point. And I can definitely see that. And it makes me think about the nuances of entitlement, right? Like, it's like, how do you add, like advocating for yourself and what you deserve and even like boundaries that you might have, as opposed to just having this, I want to say, I don't know if baseless is the right word, but just a sort of, I guess I'm going to use baseless, just unfounded. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Unfounded. Like, oh, I just, I deserve this without anything to, I guess, show for it, if that makes sense, or the reciprocity. Right. The next one, though, Dom, I think is really interesting because Dr. Romney talks about empathy a lot and how narcissists typically lack empathy. Like they're not able to really feel, listen and just empathize with other people, you know, to feel your pain, to understand it enough and to change because they don't want to make you feel a certain way. Right. And I've definitely experienced that in life where you're just like damn, you really don't care. Are you really not listening? Right. Like, are you really like, I know sometimes when I interact with folks that I am like, I know you can't like diagnose someone. I know there's like a narcissistic disorder down, but there are some personality disorder. Yep. Personality disorder. And I know I'm not a doctor and can't diagnose someone, but I lady, I feel like sometimes you see the traits and you're like, I know this person is a narcissist. I'm just saying or allegedly they're a narcissist. (laughs) (laughs) They are showing, they are showing excessive tendencies and all signs are leading to. All signs (laughs) are leading because you just think about like, damn, you are really not self-aware. Like you really don't realize that you just lack empathy right now. You know, to me, that one feels like one of the telltale signs, right? That Mm -hmm. the world for them it is, it's almost, it's damn near impossible for them to show any compassion or understanding for other people's experiences, right? Yes. That it becomes like, they're the ones who would be, to me, more likely to engage in victim blaming. Mm-hmm. In combination with all the other traits, right? Because we know lots of folks who engage in victim blaming, but they're engaging in this behavior because they lack empathy. Like I know folks who can engage in victim blaming, but who can show empathy in other situations, right? To me, that person is not narcissistic, but that person who is engaging in victim blaming or just a complete lack of understanding or compassion for other folks. Yeah. Telltale sign. 
And to add to that, Don, one other thing that Dr. Romilly talked about in this interview that I listened to, she said that sometimes they even sort of get a kick out of other people's misery and pain. I'm just like, damn, you a whole savage. You're like excited because somebody is, you know, it's like, whew, goddamn. (laughs) The next one is admiration and validation seeking. And this is one that is tricky because many of us are on social media and we like to post. I know I like to post some wins and like to post a cute little selfie sometimes, you know? So this one right here definitely might have you thinking lately, like, oh, damn, it's me. I'm the narcissist. It's me. They're calling me out. They call me out. But no, you have to definitely identify with more of the traits here in order to, I guess, you know, be identified as a narcissist. But when I think about admiration and validation seeking for me, it really makes me think about those people who, again, are really concerned with the public perception of who they are. Like I've seen people that post stuff and they're either seeking validation or admiration. And it's a facade because behind the scenes, I'm like, I actually know what's going on behind the scenes. And you're so mean and nasty behind the scenes. Like you'll post this, like, oh, I did this amazing thing. I went to go feed the homeless or something, you know? And then I know that you was like, I don't know, just like talking shit about people behind the scenes. It's like, dang, really? Right. You just did this for likes or it's like the clout chaser online where it's like you literally just did this for attention. You know, it makes me think about those situations. And I think, too, that it goes beyond that. Right. Because you raise a valid point that to some extent, any of us who are on social media maybe seeking validation and to some extent, right? Or admiration, right? It's an iffy question, right? It's a iffy, it's a iffy, it's a fine line between being on social media, like your reasons for being on social media. But I think that person who is truly narcissistic, like we said, has a combination of that admiration and validation seeking along with the other traits. But their validation and admiration seeking goes beyond social media. Mm. So they can be in regular conversation with you and they will intentionally say something to you to generate a compliment from you. And they do it in such this sly, manipulative way that oftentimes you don't even realize that you're doing it. That's a huge difference to me. I was going to say that, Don, but even I've met some people where they'll just like blatantly, like they are just thirsty for the, the compliment where they're just like, don't you like my X, Y, Z? Like, don't you like this? Or like, oh yeah, I gave this person this much money. Like I, I'm thinking about those situations where it's just like, oh, okay. Like, and again, I go back to like, damn, you are really not self-aware. Do you not realize like what you're doing right now and how you look? But apparently right. not. This takes us to the next one, which is projection where they are projecting their feelings, beliefs, insecurities, the lack of trust, they're projecting it onto you. So the thing that I think about right here is like jealousy and cheating. That's the first thing that comes to mind for me. So it's like this person, they might actually be out doing the dirt, but they come to you. And because you have to stay late for work, it's like, oh, now you're with somebody else or you're doing, and you're like, I didn't even do anything. Oh gosh, I actually had a partner like this back in the day, Dom, who was mm-hmm. so controlling and also projected like it was insane. I mean, I throughout the whole relationship, I just felt like I was questioning myself and I was like crazy or something to the point where I was like, I need to actually start documenting conversations because 
I just felt like every time I said something, it's like, oh no, I didn't say that or that didn't happen. Or there was just this projection. And I'm like, I didn't even, I don't even feel that way. Like, why are you putting that on me? You know? Right. Like they're hella insecure and Mm -hmm. they are putting that on you. So they're making you feel like you're the one who's insecure. Like they're like, no, what are you doing? They get you into this space where you, like you said, like you are questioning yourself. And sometimes that projection can lead to gaslighting, which is a whole nother topic. But that projection can feel like gaslighting. That's a clear sign that you need to pay attention, because even if this person isn't narcissistic. If they are constantly projecting onto you, then that may be signs of emotional abuse. Like, I get that we all show up with our trauma sometimes if we haven't worked on our healing. And so we may unintentionally project onto someone else, but someone who's a narcissist and or an emotional abuser will consistently project onto you. Yeah, it's so sad, too, what that does to someone mentally. You know what I mean? Like, especially when they they can be so charming and things can be so good and they, this other side is turned on. It just it's really such a mind fuck. You know, it's so unfortunate when these people especially when they link up with people that are so empathetic and so, you know, open and willing to make it work. It's a very sad situation. And the last one here is avoidance of responsibility. So it's like, I mean, they just don't take accountability at all. You know, you try to bring up, you might even be the one that's apologizing and taking responsibility for what you've done and shit. Sometimes it may not even be your fault, but they just avoid responsibility. Or I've noticed that sometimes they might even minimized, you know, like I, a couple of things that I've heard are like, well, okay, that happened. I can't focus on the past forever. You know what I mean? It's just like, damn, like you didn't even take the time to like think about my feelings and like address, you know, what happened. And it's like, oh, I apologize. I can't focus on that forever. Like it's, it's over and done with. Right. Or, you know, you deserved it. Right. Stuff like that. It's yes. just like, damn. Yeah. So they go into like you, like you just, the example you just gave, they will avoid it by going into victim blaming. Or they will avoid it by projecting. They will do anything to make it feel like they are not in the wrong. And oftentimes in this narcissistic relationship, what can end up happening is they will turn it around and make you feel like you are the one in the wrong when actually it it was them the whole time. And one thing Dr. Romney also said was how sometimes when you're, when a narcissist is with a good, I want to say good in air quotes, like a caring, empathetic person, it can one, make you feel like you're crazy. That's the language that she used, but also it makes you question yourself. So now you're like, wait, did I do something wrong here? And I, oh, I just, it just brings me back to those moments of like really questioning myself because this person, sometimes it's so convincing, right? So one thing yes. before we dive into the questions Lady, one of the things that Dr. Romney says in the article that we'll put in the show notes is no one will have a partner for whom all of these questions will be no. So again, there, there may be questions that you go through and you're like, the answer is yes. Oh my gosh. But she says, you know, all of us have some of these characteristics. So you may be a sweet, empathetic person, 
or your partner may be sweet and empathetic, but they also happen to like a very clean car or closet, right? So there are definitely different traits here. So take a look at her book. Be sure to also tune in next week for the interview because she'll add more insight. But we're just going to quickly jump into the questions that really stood out to us. And the first one here, we'll just kick it off, is does your partner often think that people are out to get them or take advantage of them? What comes up for you, Don, when you hear this question? So to me, that sounds like paranoia, right? Mm. That is a trait of paranoia, (laughs) right? That a person who is paranoid will often think that the world is against them. Mm. And sometimes what we found with some of these diagnoses of personality disorders is that there may be some trait overlap, right? So to me, this question of paranoia does kind of overlap with someone who may be narcissistic. Because if this person is afraid of other people not liking them or being out to get them, when their whole worldview is about people admiring and being in worship of them, then it makes sense that like the paranoia would come up if there's any inkling that someone might not like them Mm -hmm. and it feels heightened. Like perfect example, let's say you and your partner are at dinner and you're having dinner with several Co-workers, right? Colleagues. It's a huge dinner, pre-COVID world. Huge <laughs> dinner. And someone in passing says to your partner, I'm not a fan of XYZ sports team. Fast forward to y'all being at home. Your partner says, well, you know, your so-and-so co-worker who brought up not being a fan of XYZ sports team, did they know that I am in an administrative position at that team? Like, are they saying that they now don't that they don't like me because I work for I work for that team, that sports team? So now it's a question of wait, hold on. That was a comment made in passing, but the way mm-hmm. they present it, it feels as if it's a bigger deal, right? Right. That's a good one. I'm going to have to think about this one because I'm trying to think of the folks that I know who exhibit a lot of these narcissistic traits. And I was like, oh, I never thought about this one. So I'm going to have to pay attention for that one. The next question here is, is your partner frequently jealous of you and your friendships, relationships, successes, and opportunities? I've definitely experienced this firsthand with the person who, you know, in the past that I believe was definitely narcissist. Oh my gosh. I'm just thinking about it. It makes me just like cringe because of, you know, even where I was in life and the low self-esteem that I had then, because I didn't really, it took a long time to get out of it. Like I didn't really know how to really leave initially. And I thought about this person just being very jealous, wanting to kind of keep you at least in my experience, wanted to keep me in a box and confine me and kind of, you know, just very paranoid about other people being around and just jealous and just wanted to always have control. So yeah, that one there. Any other questions stand out to you, Dom? So is your (laughs) partner an expert showman making a big show of everything that they do, including 
parties, the car they drive, the places they go, the way they portray their life to other people. Damn. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that person, I could see where some folks may be like, because at least the initial reaction I had was, well, I feel like a lot of celebrities on Instagram do that or just in their everyday lives. They, it feels like they are constantly showing off. I don't know. Oh, child, Hollywood is full of narcissists too, so that wouldn't be surprising. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. It's so exactly exactly. So that's that is precisely what came to mind for me, right? Interesting. That for those of us in regular regular folks land, that person in your life who is constantly trying to like show off, right? That everything that they have that they own is the best, is the grandest. And social media, I think now makes it, like you mentioned before, makes it easy for folks to do that, right? For sure. To show off stuff that's not theirs, right? To show off or stuff that they haven't earned, but trying to portray this life of grandeur and luxury to make themselves feel better ultimately. And, but then to have folks in constant admiration of them, like it's, just, it's, it's all tied together. That's right. That is spot on Dom. And lady, I will say this conversation is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we're going to dive in much deeper with Dr. Romani in next week's episode. And so, yeah, definitely take a look at the show notes Take a look at the survey. We only covered, I think, three questions or so from the article. So you can take a look at all 30 questions. You can take a look at Dr. Romney's book, Should I Stay or Should I Go? We'll add a link to that in the show notes. And one of the things I really want to ask Dr. Romney when we chat with her, Don, I want to ask her about if it's possible for a narcissist to recover because it sounds like it's tricky. You know, she talks about how if you are... She talks about how narcissists are not born, they're raised. And so typically it's because of your Mm -hmm. environment and, you know, the way that you are parented, the way that you grew up. Right. And so I'm thinking like, damn, if someone is an adult now and they were reared this way, how do they change? You know, how do you become an empathetic, a truly empathetic and sincere person? So, yeah, I'm curious. We'll have to ask her. Yeah, we'll definitely have to ask her about that because that feels like a lot. Yeah, it feels impossible. And I'm one that's very optimistic. I believe that anything's possible. But based on personal experience with narcissists as well, I'm like, I don't know about this one. So we'll have to ask her. But lady, again, you got to tune in next week because we are talking about how to finally leave your narcissistic partner. All right, we'll catch you next week. Hey, lady. It's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit cultivatingherspace.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know 
is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website, cultivatingherspace.com, and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I am doing the best I can with the understanding, knowledge, and awareness I have at this moment.